If you missed yesterday, uh, you missed it. You really did. It was a great time. We, we got to hear from each of these missionaries that you're going to hear from briefly this morning. Um, we got to hear a good, good long, drawn-out understanding of what God is doing in their lives and through them as they serve in various places around the world. And so, uh, would you come forward, missionaries, this morning? Uh, just come forward. We're going to have them share a few minutes uh, to, to try to recap for the, those of you that weren't here yesterday some of the things that God is doing and what their ministry is all about. Um, but how do you recap in three minutes what was shared in quite a few more than that? Um, but, but they're going to they're gonna do it. They're going to do well. And then when we're done, Rod uh, Ragsdale is going to open the Word with us this morning, and we're looking forward to that. And just to give you a heads up, he said he's going to rock our world. Well, he didn't put it like that, right? You didn't put it like that. You might, he might, he, he said he's going to shake things up a bit, which I'm thankful for. So anyway, here's what we want to do. First of all, I want to thank the ministry or the missions team, which consists of Dave Colburn, uh, Lori DeJarnet. Where's Lori? Lori, she might be home resting. Oh, there she is. <laughs> Ruth Gallion is there and uh, John Wilcox. These people put together a great weekend. They put a lot of effort in, and it really started with just two, two missionaries, <laughs> the Ragsdales and, and the Rosenbrocks, and then all of a sudden it, it blossomed, and the Lord did it because it was great. It was wonderful. So anyway, thank you to you guys. We can give them a thanks. So this morning we want you to hear a little bit about what the Lord is doing, so we're just going to go this way and we'll end up with Rod. That worked out really perfect, so we'll let Jerry start. All right. Thank you, Pastor. Wow, yeah, like Pastor said, if you missed yesterday, you missed it. I tell you what, um, it was a blessing for me. Uh, my name is Jerry Burheim. I serve with Awana, my wife and I do, but I got to meet a whole bunch of other great folks and hear what's going on, and one of the cool things was, folks, and, and hats off, you, you've got many missionaries. We got one mission, and there's a lot of methods that are being used here to do what? To reach, reach, reach the kingdom, right? To reach these people that, uh, that are lost. And I, I loved hearing the story. So Angie and I serve as Awana missionaries. We serve all of southern Idaho and central and eastern Oregon. Uh, we've been doing that for 13 years before gray or white, as you might say. I had, used to have brown all the way through. Somebody asked if I dyed it, and it's like, no, it's just natural that way. No. Anyway, we are blessed to partner with you. And I was trying to think, uh, Angie's not here today, but I was trying to think, She's, I said, I got three minutes. She's like, oh, my goodness. She's usually pretty good with the sign language where we like, it's time to wrap it up. But I just wanted to say thank you, honestly, at the end of the day. Uh, Awana's been a great ministry for us. Uh, I grew up going to Awana as a young person. Had no idea we'd serve full-time as missionaries. But interesting how God will use you, right, when you don't know exactly where you're going to, you know, his plans are b- bigger than ours. So we've been doing, like, say, faithfully. I always like to share, because I, sometimes I assume everybody knows what Awana is, but Awana is, stands for approved workmen are not ashamed. 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And, and I'll, I'll just tell you what, folks, we live in a time when we need to, to get to, and I shared briefly yesterday, uh, Dr. Greg Carlson worked at Awana for a long, long time, and he says, we get one opportunity to put one hand on the word of God, one hand on the child, and bring them together for life change. God uses you to change young people's lives, and is this not a time when we do need to be putting our arms, our loving arms around these kids 
with the loving Word of God. And I want to leave you with a Bible verse. And, uh, you know, I, Dave caught me yesterday, and he, he had a Bible verse that I was planning on sharing, and, and I, he might share it again as well today. But 1 Thessalonians 2.8, and, and it, what a verse for us all to have. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because what? You had become very dear to us. You're very dear to us. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for your support, and thank you for allowing us to be, be your arms and feet, and uh, we are blessed. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. And I did miss yesterday. I truly did miss it. I've uh, put 3,000 miles on uh, some cars over the last two weeks, uh, traveling up and down the I-5 corridor, because my role right now is recruiting, getting more people into Mission Aviation Fellowship. My wife and I, uh, Lene, out here, um, have served with Mission Aviation Fellowship for 38 years. We spent 21 of those in Indonesia, born and raised our kids out there, and they are now independently on their own, doing their own thing. And uh, we've been back home about 15, 16 years now in this role of mobilizing younger people to go out and do the work of Mission Aviation Fellowship. So what is it MEF does? We support over 1,000 agencies that have ministries in remote parts of the world. About 80% of those ministries would not happen without our partnership in getting them there with the airplane and supporting their work. We also do a network of communication, so while they're in that bush or in that remote village, they can communicate with you, supporters, family, their organization, and others. And so we are kind of a technical, logistical support behind a lot of agencies, and so the thrill for me is I get to see all that. I get to be a part of all that as a pilot flying in and out of all these villages throughout Indonesia and, um, and seeing the progress, uh, standing alongside them, encouraging these missionaries, even national pastors as they're working often in a cross-cultural setting themselves and sharing the message of Jesus Christ. And I love the new statement on our general brochure that says, Jesus said to take the message to the ends of the world, and we take him seriously. We're going to the end of the world, <clears throat> the last of the, the least of the unreached. And uh, these people would never hear the name of Jesus if it wasn't for the airplane coming in. My wife and I got to spend a brief uh, little couple days of vacation in a missionary station interior one time. And this missionary couple said, you know, over the generations in this culture, they've always had the story that someday the truth would come in a white bird. That was passed on for generations and generations. And finally, when they built an airstrip and an MAF airplane came in, this white bird, they just accepted the message of Christ because they, God had already planted that seed for generations prior. That, that's not always the case. That's a fun story. But there's others. I know a missionary that I served that worked for 25, almost 27 years in a village and only had a handful, five or six converts. When he passed away... Then they finally started coming to faith. He never got to see that. So that's kind of two spectrums. And uh, another fun thing, I see all these Christmas boxes back here for Operation Christmas Child. Some of those boxes, a lot of them actually end up in MAF airplanes. Getting to kids in these remote parts of the world as a way for you to touch them with the love of Jesus. And it's just a real privilege to be a part of that. My wife and I are now in Vancouver, Washington, um, we have seven grandkids, and we, we, God just blessed us with an opportunity to encourage others. I, my role as a recruiter is not to get people into MEF. It's to get them to take the next step. And, uh, and it's fun to walk alongside these young couples 
and help them decide what that next step is. It might be MAF, it might not be, but they're interested in MAF, and I sit with them and talk to them, and so that's what I did over the last two weeks, and all these road trips is, it was all individual meetings except for this last two days I was in Mission Fest Seattle. Uh, thousands of people that came to hear and understand what is my role in mission. So keep praying. God's doing a lot of things around the world. It's exciting, and it's a privilege to be a part of it. Thank you. Good morning. I'm David Rosenbrock. This is my wife, Tammy, and my daughter, Anaya. And um, I, don't, I think I've told you this story, but I don't know if I've told anyone else. I wanted to be a pilot with MAF when I was in high school. I went through the process. Well, this is... I went through the process of going through ground school and got my private pilot's license and then um, had a couple of scary landings and I realized I was going to kill myself sooner rather than later. <laughs> so, so I think where we are now on the Flathead Indian Reservation in Montana is a much better choice for me, uh, suiting who, uh, who I am, uh, how God made me. Um, so uh, our little motto or tagline, whatever you call it, is... Uh, helping build healthy communities in harmony with the Creator. And God has given uh, my wife and I a real heart of compassion uh, to live in the community, even though it gets pretty messy at times. And um, part of that is uh, some community development activities that we're involved with as well. Um, I've gotten uh, involved with a group that's trying to start a transitional living facility for people coming out of drug addictions to get reintegrated with their family. Um, And I hate the paperwork but I'm blessed to work with the people. Uh, Tammy's gotten involved uh, with this trauma-informed care. Some of you have, may have heard that phrase in the last few years, and that's been a real good opportunity to uh, connect with people in the community, too. And then, um, the, you know, when we use the word community in our tagline, it actually has a, a double meaning, not only the social community, but communities of faith. And uh, so... We are working at uh, getting little groups of people uh, together that meet in houses, and that's a very slow process with lots of little steps forward and steps back. Um, so that's another piece of what we do. want to say thank you uh, to you all for your prayers for us and support over the years. And uh, we have been very, um, the last year or so, just very aware of the spiritual warfare going on in our area. I don't know if that's true here in Matters, too, uh, but for us it's been pretty intense. So uh, we are asking folks to uh, commit to praying daily for us. And uh, if you want more information about that, we have a display downstairs. We'd love to talk with you more. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, just thank you so much for your support and uh, for all the people that have been coming and listening to all of our stories and our presentations. And we've been so encouraged by you guys this weekend. It's really been awesome. I'm Joe Cox, and I am a product of Cornerstone Church. I, God's brought me up, and there's a lot of people in this room that have built into my life spiritually. And Julie and I now have been uh, working in Christian ministry for 37 years. And I think for about 30 of those, uh, Cornerstone's been supporting us in our ministry, uh, except when we sh- took a, just a short break to be a children's pastor and didn't need your support, and you stopped sending it. And then, but as soon as we jumped back into missions, you guys joined back with us again. So thank you for standing with us for so many years. And I've been here many times, and I've shown you lots of pictures up on the screen about people that we're reaching. We're with, this is my wife, Julie, by the way, 
And she, she said, I don't have to go up there and stand up there, do I? I said, yes. Um, but we uh, serve with Enduring Treasure Ministries, which is focused on leadership development and individualized coaching for Christian leaders, primarily pastors and other Christian leaders. We're based in the St. Louis area, and we have a ministry of Christian life coaching with uh, local believers there, helping them to experience breakthroughs in their own Christian lives. But then uh, we travel as often as I can get on an airplane and get to Africa, I get there. And I'm in, uh, we're focusing on Eastern Congo and Eastern Uganda right now, helping underserved uh, pastors and Christian leaders there. Um, and usually I have pictures of people to show you that, that we're reaching, but today I have a different kind of a visual aid. I have someone here with me who's come a long way to see you. <laughs> this is my, my good friend, Pastor Michael Matea, and he's from Eastern Uganda. And uh, he doesn't need any help uh, telling his story. I'm going to let him uh, share what he wants to share with you and cut my time as short as I can to give him my extra minute. There you go. God is good. And all the time. And that's his nature. Ooh. I'm Mike Mataya, my name's. Uh, by God's grace, I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Temple Ship Center in Mbale. I founded a ministry called Champions Evangelistic Ministries International. We reach out in the Muslim community, and we've seen hundreds and hundreds of Muslims come to the Lord, and they become pastors and the church leaders. We also help the children in this Muslim community through education and help them to... to uh, to gain skills and also in Bible training. Uh, we also help young girls who conceive at the early age, at the age of 14, and they are abandoned with their children. In the Muslim community, it is very, very common there. Uh, I came out of Islam and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And uh, God gave me the passion to reach out to these people who, whose lives are very considered far from the Lord. And we've seen the hand of God in this community. Our church is located in a Muslim community. We began in 2004. And the mango tree, five people. And the mango tree, and God has continued to expand us in this Muslim community and now we've reached to over 1400 people and now we have planted six other churches in different communities that is where Joe Cox as Enduring Treasure Ministry come and they partner together with us training leaders, coaching and we've seen the great move of God in this this community through Enduring Treasure Ministry. Thank you so much for always supporting Enduring Treasure. And thank you also for welcoming me to come and be part of this great family. It's a blessing for me to be in Joe's home area because he has been in my home area. He knows my dad. He knows my mom. He knows our home. 
this time I said I have to go and see your people. Now in Africa, if you meet somebody, you become friends, and you go up to home, that means you're more than friends. You are now brother. Your brothers in the Lord. So now he's my brother, but maybe he's my other uh, dad. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. It's exciting to be here. Uh, my name is Rod Ragsdale. I wasn't here yesterday. I missed it as well. Um, I was uh, burying my uncle. Uh, it's a good thing. Um, praise God. He was a believer, and we just had a great time. So thank you, Pastor Jeff, for giving me permission to skip yesterday. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we work in Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa. You know all of that stuff. Um, Angelica probably shared with you some yesterday, and probably a good thing I wasn't here so she could be free to say what she needed to say. <laughs> um, yeah, I teach in a Bible school. Um, that's my main job. Uh, Angelica works with women in a variety of ways, um, and we're also involved in leading our team in Cote d'Ivoire. We have an association of churches we work with that has about 500 churches in the country. Um, we're blessed to be able to work with this association. We're in the process of turning over a lot of different things to them, and that's also a challenge but a blessing as well. And then um, we're also involved in a project called Kuruba, a conservation project in which we are working alongside Jula's Muslims to try to, to uh, set up concessions or what we can call conservancies so that uh, they can make, uh, they can uh, do wildlife business. And if you want to know more about that, that's a, that's a whole other discussion. Um, we're working with two different associations of villages um, of about 30 villages each. We're talking about 1,000 square kilometers each. And we're talking about conservation of wildlife, birds, uh, fish, uh, trees, and that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a weird, strange idea. You might think, uh, what's a Christian doing in conservation? and environmental issues. Uh, well, I think as Christians, we have a big role to play. And uh, to do that alongside Muslims in a context where we cannot go and do evangelism campaigns is probably a more effective way of sharing the gospel through sharing our values with them in practical work. So that's kind of what we're up to. You want to add anything? Yeah, for those who have, haven't been there yesterday, I just like the slogan from uh, Awana International, look hope into the eye. And uh, if you look into the newspapers and into the biggest growing business in the world about human trafficking, uh, we need that slogan, look hope into the eye. And I was talking a little bit about um, reaching out to girls, young women, to take good choices to prevent uh, them to become victims. And I actually like this um, cloth. I want to show you what we do with this in Africa. Oh, sorry. Tara, you probably know, right? Here, we wrap that around. And then um, that's what you do in Uganda as well, right? And then that, that is your wrap around cloth, but you do a lot with it. You put it on your head, you uh, carry your babies with it, 
And also, uh, that's what you use, uh, that what the girls use every four months. Uh, they wrap it apart, and we want to find better solutions. So what do you see for the kids? What do you see on it? Who likes spiders? <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I just want to come back to Rod. We want to try to get the elephants back uh, to the Ivory Coast. And uh, we do have spiders, but we have a lot of fun animals as well. Thank you very much. Amen. You guys did excellent. Wow. No, no, stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up. We want to... So here's our desire. We have... Uh, here's a sheet that the missions team put out, and there are 14 missionaries and agencies that we support financially as a church. This gives you opportunity to put some faces to the names that you read on these papers, okay? So our desire is certainly to help them out financially, but also to pray for them. And so I'm going to ask us to do something that we don't normally do. I'm just going to ask you, if you feel like it and you get up on the stage, would you come up on the stage? We want to lay hands on each of our missionaries, and we want to pray together. No, you can come now. One, two, three, go. And I'm just going to pray, but if you would feel inclined just to lay your hand on a missionary or two or however many you can get your hands on, we want to we wanna pray because it's part of our... So... And the rest of you sitting there here, just as a sign of you praying over them, would you just put your hand forward like you could lay your hand on them, okay? Let's pray together. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for each and every one here on this stage who, who has given of themselves to go out into the harvest field and to be that laborer. And so, Father, we, we lift them up to you. We thank you for the way that you are using them the way that you desire to use them in the next several days and weeks and months and years. And so, Lord, we, we just lift them up to you in the name of Jesus, and we ask your continued blessing upon them. That, Father, as you have promised in your word, they would find that you meet all of their needs. And that, Father, you go beyond that, and, and you bless them in the area of ministering to people and loving on people. And I pray, Father God, that each and every one of these up here who are missionaries that we support, Father, would feel loved, would feel that this church family cares about them. I pray, Father, that they would know that we are going to continue to pray for them. And Father, we look forward to the things that you're going to do in and through them, and we thank you for the role that we get in that. Lord, we pray for protection. We pray that you would continue to, to keep them and, and, and that you would put your protection around them. Father, we pray for the product, the, the, that, that you would produce fruit in their lives and through them to others. Thank you for each one of them. I want to lift them up to you by name, Father. I, I thank you for Jerry and Angie Berheim and lift them up. I, I pray for Perry and Lene Pust. I pray for Joe and Julie Cox and, and Pastor Mike and thank you for them and what you're doing. I lift up Tammy and David Rosenbrock. And Father, for Rod and Angelica, thank you for them. And we just lift them up to you, thanking you for what you're going to do. 
And we pray these things together as a church family, and we say, Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Also, as you guys are heading down and Rod's getting ready, I just want to give you a heads up. We do want to continue to pray for these missionaries. We, we are grateful for what God is doing in and through them. But we also want to help them financially. And so as you leave today, there is a box that's standing on the floor. Not the ones on the walls, but the box that's standing on the floor. It's an opportunity for you to slip some, some financial support in there. And whatever is received in that box this morning will, uh, will be divided among our missionaries. Okay? So, welcome, Rod Ragsdale, who's going to rock our world. <laughs> So, salam alaikum. Good morning. Okay. All right. We'll go with that. It's great to be here this evening. Or morning. Morning this morning. Yep. Um, very interesting. Uh, I was uh, yesterday in um, Hillsboro for this funeral. A friend of mine was in the valley with his plane. And he said he's coming back to Redmond, and he said he could give me a ride. So that was uh, not as big a hardship as I thought it was going to be. I thought it was, I drove over to Redmond, or to, from Bend to uh, Hillsboro yesterday morning. I thought I'm going to drive back to Madras in the afternoon, and God gave me a flight. So that was nice. So praise God for that. Um. I want to talk a little bit about environmental issues. I know that's kind of a hot topic these days. Is it? Yeah? No? All right. Well, I know that uh, we in North America, a lot of times, we like to think that maybe that's, that's a deal for liberals. It's a deal for the left. It's not our business. God's going to destroy this world and make a new one. So what do we care? If the world is destroyed, does it make any difference? I think that God is concerned about the world. And I think there's some very, very specific things that we can say about that. Um, if you look at the world, at the environment, we in West Africa, we have a huge problem. With industrialization, we have imported plastics, we've imported computer stuff, cars. We have a saying in West Africa, when we, when we buy a car, are you, we ask the question, are you buying a France au revoir? What's a France au revoir? France au revoir is a car that has been in Europe, has come to Africa because it can't go through the inspections any longer. And so it comes to Africa, and we use those until they're done. Countries like Cote d'Ivoire have laws saying you can't import a vehicle that's over 10 years of age. Why? Well, because if they didn't have a law like that, our countries would be full of your old cars. That's just the way it is in, an, in, an, in, a, in, in a developing country. We say in West Africa that the plastic bag is our national flower, as you can see here. This is the kind of stuff you see all the time in West Africa. Garbage is a huge problem. How do we deal with garbage? This is our capital city. Um, 
garbage collection. That's something you guys have figured out. It's something that a lot of people in the developing world just haven't figured out yet. We have a huge problem with production of charcoal, which destroys our forests. Our forests in West Africa have all but disappeared because of charcoal production, because it's cheaper, it's more efficient to use charcoal when you're living in a city than it is to use wood. To make charcoal, you've got to burn a lot of wood. And anybody who knows anything about making charcoal, you know that you're going to use a lot of that fuel just to make the charcoal. It's lighter, it's easier to transport, it burns hotter, and so that's why we like charcoal. In a country like Cote d'Ivoire, fortunately, in our country, we subsidize gas, butane gas. Well, where does butane gas come from? It comes from Russia. You know the story. That's our lives in West Africa. There's a lot of countries in West Africa that just don't subsidize butane. And so forests disappear quickly. Another problem we have in West Africa is mining. Kids, age of 14, 13, 12, are put down in holes in the ground, dig out the rocks out of which you can get gold. And as you know, the price of gold right now is going up and up and up and up. Why? Because we all like our phones, we like our computers, and all those things need gold in order to be able to operate the way they operate. And it has an impact. With the price of gold going up like it does in places like West Africa where gold mining is highly, uh, it's, it's very structured by the government, you have to have permits and all the rest of it. What happens when a gold mining company comes into a place and does prospection to find out whether it's cost effective? Then the little guys come in afterwards and start digging because they know that a mining company will not prospect in a place where there's no gold. And so we have a huge problem with young kids, your ages, down in holes, because you're small, you can dig in holes better than I can, and we'll feed you a little bit, and you make a little bit of money, and we make, we get gold. And of course, anybody that knows anything about, uh, anything about gold mining, you know that you need to use certain chemicals, mercury, to leach out the gold. And in our situation in West Africa, we don't have a lot of controls in how that's used. As a result, waterways are polluted, fish carry around mercury, we love fish, and it, has, it, it, it creates a problem in our, just for the health of people. So back to this question. How does God see the natural world? If you look at Genesis chapter 1, the first creation story, God is talking about how the world is created. And if you know anything about the creation story, you know that there's two accounts of creation. There's a first account of creation, chapter 1, and then in most of, I don't know if it's in the English Bible this way, but in our French Bibles, <laughs> chapter 2 is a second account of creation. All right? In the first account of creation, five times in that account, God stops and says, and it was good. Well, when God stops and says that about his creation, you and I need to stop and think, what does he mean by that? 
Well, he means that it was good. All right? At the end of that chapter, in verse 31, he says, and it was very good. And then you got the second account of creation. He said it was very good. Well, we tend to think, well, that was before sin. It was good. It was very good. And it was. But don't think for a minute that God didn't want us to remember that, even though we have sinned. It is still good. And we, what is our responsibility towards that creation in that that was what God thought of his creation? It was very good. We have a responsibility to take care of that creation. It's an interesting thing that in the second chapter then of Genesis, you have this tree of good and evil and the tree of life that is mentioned. Let's go to the next slide. You see, in that creation story, God talks about the creation of this world. And he starts talking about the different things that are created. And we have Adam that is placed in the garden to take care of the garden and to name the animals. Now, I just want to take a minute to think about the different animals that are in our world. You realize that, there, that when God created mammals, he created over 5,500 different species that exist today. That's not all the species that have existed in the past. All right? 5,500. Yeah, these are all mammals. That's a pangolin, that last picture. He created birds. There are over 10,500 species of birds in our world today. That's just a little picture of what God, God's creativity. These are lilac rollers, bee eaters, crown cranes, and a martial eagle. Those are all birds from West Africa. God didn't stop with birds, of course. He created reptiles or fish. Start with fish. He created fish. Saltwater and freshwater fish account for over 40,000 species. And what amazes me about this is that God created all these species that are under the water. He didn't make man so that he could walk underwater. He made us so that we have to breathe air above the water. He created 40,000 plus species that are under the water where we can't even see it unless we figure out ways to go down and see it or catch it. Why, why, would, he make so much, why would he make so much of a deal out of fish? But he doesn't stop with fish. He creates reptiles. Reptiles that account for over 10,000, I think it's 10,500, no, 10,000 species of reptiles that we know today in our world. Didn't stop with reptiles. He created amphibians. You know, you know the difference between a reptile and an amphibian, right? An amphibian is one of those reptile-looking-like creatures that can live, that starts its life cycle in the water and then ends up on the land and can go both ways. Not like a reptile that has to be born on land, all right? This makes, it's got a different kind of heart, all that stuff. Anyway, 
15,000 species of reptiles, or amphibians, excuse me. Why so many different species of amphibians? Now, we've just started scratching the surface because God kept on creating. If you start talking about invertebrates, now those are all those creatures that don't have backbones, all right? That's why we say invertebrate. Over a million species of insects. Yeah, God created them. Yeah, you think that that was part of the fall? No, sorry. (laughs) God created them. They have a purpose. Even the common housefly has a purpose. A million different species of insects. Look at that list. Of course, you got your spider-looking like creatures. You've got your mollusk, crustaceans, all the rest of it. And we're still just scratching the surface because we haven't even started talking about plants, trees, that kind of stuff. So let's talk about plants. Angiosperms, about 300,000 different species of angiosperms, conifers, ferns, mosses, grasses. Look at those numbers. And now, if you're an evolutionary scientist, you will say, well, all those different species kind of evolved. Regardless of what you think, how those different species got to where we, we can name them today, God put in their genetic, genetic packages what it took in order for us to have this list of different kinds of plants in our world. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about trees. Wikipedia, which I know is a very good source of information, I'm not sure if it's good information, says that there are between 60 and 100,000 different species of trees. And I know that depends on how you classify a tree and all that kind of stuff. That's a lot of trees. It's a lot of trees that are in our world. And then they say that there are about 3 trillion, 400 billion trees that are standing in our world. Now, there might be a few less than that today because of forest fires in Oregon and all that kind of stuff. But you guys know that that's a lot of trees. And we know that trees need what? They need water, they need nutrients, and they need light in order to grow, right? A tree is an amazing thing. It looks like it's dead, but it's living. You cut to its heart, and it is dead but its outside is living. That's not true with all trees. Palm trees is different. And banana trees aren't really a tree, it's a grass. You know, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of different things we could say about trees. But trees are, it's an amazing thing that God did when he created trees and put trees on our planet that make CO2, or that make carbon dioxide, right? No, that make oxygen and use carbon dioxide in order to survive. Amazing thing. So, let's think back then, Genesis 2. God created man, put him in the garden, and he put these two trees that he talks about. He put a lot of different trees in the garden. Let's read this. And, God, and, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
Now, we know a lot about the tree of God, knowledge of good and evil because that's why we have all the problems we do today. That's why I buried my uncle yesterday, because of the tree of good and evil. It's because of sin that death exists. It's because of sin that we have all the problems we have. It's because of sin that we don't get along, etc., etc. But God also planted in the tree, in, in, in the garden, the tree of life. It's interesting to me that in the first creation story, in, in, the, in, the, in the creation story, God talks about this tree of life. And then at the end of the Bible, in Apocalypse, or what do you say, in Revelation, the tree of life exists as well. Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of life, of, of, the, of the water of life, Bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were good for the healing of the nations. Now, in Africa, we know that leaves are medicine. I know that here in North America, you forgot that. Our word for leaf in Jula is fla. Our word for medicine in Jula is also fla. Flaburu, meaning leaf of a tree, and fla, meaning medicine. Because we know that in order to make medicine, in order to get rid of the malaria that we have, we've got to take the leaves of a specific tree, we Grind it up, we boil it, we drink the water, we wash with the water, and we get better. All right? It's medicine. So when an Ivorian or Afri African reads this, he knows exactly what God's talking about. Leaves for the healing of the nations, you bet. That's why, that's why trees exist, is so that we can get better. And it's interesting to me that it's because of trees that healing is possible, but it's also through a tree that we are in the situation we're in today because of our inability or our, our, inability or our uh, refusal to do as God said. When he said to Adam and Eve, don't eat the fruit from this tree, and they did, and that's why we suffer as we do. At the same time, God put in the leaves of trees medicine so that we can get better. We tend not to think of that in the West because all of our medicine comes from a pharmacy and it's all in these little white things that we put, you know. But pharmaceutical companies know that leaves are essential for making what they're making. And yeah, they have, there's a lot of things that go into medicine that, you know, maybe just the leaf isn't going to, you know, there's doses and all that kind of stuff. But you know, this idea that the tree of life is in the creation story, and the tree of life is also present in the, the new creation story, is not a new idea by, uh, with John. This idea goes back to Ezekiel. You see, you have the beginning of the story of man's relationship with God, starting with the tree of life. It ends with the tree of life. But in Ezekiel, 
chapter 47, we have this passage that is almost exactly, almost verbatim, verbatim what we see in, in Revelations chapter 22. And on the banks of the river, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. You see, John wasn't inventing an idea. This is an idea that already existed at the time of Ezekiel. Interesting to note, that the reason that this tree of life is so special is because of where the water comes from. It's coming from the sanctuary. It's coming directly from God himself. And if you remember in Revelation, if you read more in that passage, it talks about how there is no sun, there's no lamps, because the light for the new city comes from God himself. And so the light that's necessary for the trees to grow is coming from God himself. That's the hope we have. God has placed us in this world with this promise that we have a tree of life that's waiting for us, that's going to bear fruit every month, a different kind of fruit. Now, I know that, <coughs> that uh, fruit growers have figured out ways of getting trees to bear several kinds of fruit at the same time. But this is a different fruit every month. I don't know any fruit tree grow, fruit grower that has been able to produce a tree that will grow a different produce a different kind of fruit every month. That doesn't exist. There's a cycle that you got to follow. You see, this is miraculous stuff. But you know, Ezekiel's not the first guy to talk about trees as a prophet. About 150 years earlier, there's another prophet, Isaiah, that talks about trees, and this is very interesting. He says this in Isaiah 41. I will open the rivers on the bare heights and the foundations in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plan, and the pine together. And then he goes on to say this. So that they may see and know, may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Why has God placed around us such a multitude of variety? Why has God placed around us junipers? It's so that we will know who God is. Yeah, we're surrounded by people who want to explain it otherwise. Oh, it's just, you know, natural selection, all the rest of it. All right. <laughs> but there's a God behind it all. God is on a mission. He wants that everyone know who he is. And the reason he's put so much variety in our world, the reason he's created 5,500 different species of mammals is not because we need another species of mammals. It's because he wants us to know who he is. You see, a million insects, come on, God, why couldn't you stop at 500,000? He wants us to know who he is. 
I mean, praying mantises. You know, there's all kinds of different types of praying mantis. But why so many? Well, I want you to know who I am. That's what God is doing in creation. That's how God sees the natural world around us. And you see, we tend to think, well, that's, as we said earlier, that's, that's, that's an agenda of the left. No, it's not an agenda of the left. Taking care of creation is our agenda. It's our God who created it, and we of all people should be concerned about how we take care of it. And you say, so, but what about if God's going to destroy the world? Why do, we, why do we care? Well, is it my business to do God's business? No. My business is to take care of what he said is good. And if he said it's good, I had better take care of it. And he can do with it what's he, what he wants. Now, I, I tend, I, I, I'm not one of those people that believes that God is going to totally destroy the world that he's created. I, think, I believe he's in the process of restoring it. Thank goodness that's what he's going to do with you and me. He's going to restore us. I think God is a God of restoration. And if that's the case, I need to be careful how I use the environment or the, the, the resources he's put in my hands. There's a very good book called Serve God, Save the Planet. It's written by a believer, Matthew Sleeth. He's a medical doctor. And he just puts out the challenge there. Can you live, leave and leave maybe a smaller carbon pr- footprint? You probably heard that kind of talk. What, kind of, what carbon footprint do you have? I think it's a good challenge. I think it's something we all need to ask ourselves is, what decisions am I making in my world? And what am I going to leave my children, my children's children? We have a responsibility to take care of God's creation. And I know there's a lot of different theories out there how to do that. And we need to weigh those out. We need to have those discussions. We need to have those debates. But we can't just brush it off as a liberal agenda. I'm sorry. I don't know if you realize, but in Africa, the, the way that game parks started in Africa was through evangelicals, Christians, who said, we've got to do something to keep these species from disappearing. It's interesting to me that this tree of life idea is not only the tree of life that we see at the beginning of creation and the tree of life that we see at the end of creation, but you have Jesus Christ himself who is crucified on a tree. And I often ask myself the question, what was God thinking when he created that species of tree that was going to be used to build the cross that his son was going to be crucified on? Do you think he created that species not realizing that, God, that, that Jesus was going to be crucified? No, he knew perfectly well what was going to happen. But he went ahead and created that tree even so. You see, the tree of life is more than just a tree that is pretty, that makes oxygen for us. 
It's a tree that gives us life and life eternal. You see, it's interesting to me that God begins that creation story with a tree of life. He ends that creation story with a tree of life. But right in the middle, you've got Christ who's crucified on the tree. And those are the words that are used in Scripture. And that becomes indeed the tree that gives us new life. We have a responsibility to take care. As we take care of our own children, to take care of the world around us, to make sure that that world around us is being used in a way that is sustainable. As I think about kids like this kid, down in a pit, looking for gold, where he's not going to school, not that going to school is the answer for everything, where he's not getting taken care of in a nice home, people surrounding him, but he's looking for gold because he's small, he can get down in the holes, and he can do the job. One thing you need to realize is that when you dig clandestine holes like this, if a hole collapses, there's nothing you do. You just walk away. Yeah. Kids are buried like this every week in Africa because they're digging in holes looking for gold so we can have our apparatuses. We as a people need to think about what am I doing today that has an impact on the world around me? You see, we've started an organization called Kuruba in West Africa where we're working, as I said earlier, with different two different associations of villages to help them develop a conservation model so that their kids can know what wildlife is. Today, if you ask an Ivorian kid what an elephant is, he'll say, well, that's the national football team. Soccer team to you guys, I guess. That's the national football team. They're the elephants. Has he ever seen an elephant? No. Just last year, we had an elephant show up in one of the, uh, close to one of the uh, cities that we work in, in a sugarcane plant, sugar plantation. And a guy said, yeah, I've got special powers. They don't bother me. And he walked up and was having people take pictures of him. And he was killed because they don't know <laughs> what an elephant is. It's a dangerous piece of equipment. <laughs> it will waste you. <laughs> yeah, you don't do that with elephants, not with wild ones. You don't even do those with that with tame ones unless you know real well what you're doing. <laughs> People need to know what, what the world is around them. Why? So that they will recognize who their God is. Why, is it be, why have we forgotten who God is? It's because we've taken ourselves out of the environment in which we live. If you live in a house all the time, you're never going to know, you're never going to recognize that God has created this amazing thing that we live in, this amazing place that we live in. That's what I love about living in Africa. It's a rare day we sit in our house to eat, to talk. We prefer to sit outside. Yeah, there's insects. Yeah, there's flies. Yeah, there's mosquitoes. 
But boy, it's sure a lot better to get malaria from time to time to be able to eat outside than it is to always be inside and never get malaria. If you get malaria, it's a good thing. Because it's just one more way that you can lose, use the leaves that God has created on the trees. So where I take my story, I put it back. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the world you put around us. We want to thank you, Father, for the trees. And Father, we want to thank you specifically for the tree of life that does indeed give us eternal life. Thank you, Father, because you have chosen to save us. And you've done it through a very special way. One that we would never have expected. And yet you gave your son so that we could live. Father, help us to point other people around us to your creation so that they would know who you are. So that in seeing the different variety of trees that are around us, the different, the different kinds of animals that are surrounding us, the different kinds of stars and planets in our sky, that people would recognize that there is a God who loves us and wants his best for us. Thank you, Father, for your creation. In Jesus' name.